Are we are we committed to cold opens now? <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> I mean, you're the editor, so ultimately we're committed to what you decide to put before the music. I've been listening to some Taylor Swift this week. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know why. What I'm a 31. mood. So she, right? So. <laughs> oh yeah, good point. <laughs> it's like my oh, yeah. age. Me and me and Taylor going through the going through the same motions. You know what, Andy Hero? Oh. She came out last year. Good tune. I like Andy Hero. It's a good song. Have you ever like really listened to the lyrics? Because there's a line in it where she says, "Sometimes I feel like everybody is a sexy baby." What? And I just I, I can't I don't I don't like it. <laughs> I don't get it. <laughs> Taylor, can you can you explain that to us? <laughs> like friend what? of the podcast Taylor Swift. Uh, if you're listening, <laughs> hon, so, if you can get in touch. Does that mean you're a Swifty then, Liam? I don't know. I might be. I'm getting there. I've been listening to a lot of Olivia. Oh yeah, Rodrigo. Whatever Rodrigo. She's called. Olivia Rodrigo. Rodrigo. Yeah. She's good. I like her. Yeah. Uh, and it's a Spotify DJ. Have you used Spotify DJ? No. no. What's that? Does it just do you it, Spotify? Yeah. Does yeah. it just spout like random music at you that you think that it'll think you like? They they describe it as an AI powered DJ, and it uses like a synthesized AI voice, and I hate that bit of it, but. <laughs> It like wait. I just imagine the AI voice being like, "Come on, everybody!" Like an actual DJ. <laughs> I wish, oh I God. wish it had that much energy. It, it's actually more like Liam Richardson. <laughs> get down! Oh God, it's terrifying. Irritatingly, it's more like, "Hey Liam, <laughs> this is your DJ X," and oh, it like no. <laughs> it can't quite pronounce the names of things and it keeps <laughs> recommending me magic by Coldplay like every single day. Uh... It'll be like, here's a Wednesday vibe for you and it's magic by Coldplay. Or he'll be like, here's, here's what you normally listen to on a Thursday morning, Liam, and it's just five white noise tracks. Back oh. To back. oh, okay. <laughs> but sometimes he gives me a nice little mix of like new music and I've been listening to a bit mm. of Taylor Swift. And yeah, I, you know what? I think, I think this Taylor Swift person Pretty good. One to keep an eye on, let me tell you. <laughs> you heard it here I mean, first. <laughs> yeah. I I'm not I'm I'm not a not Swifty. A I, I'm I'm into the Swifty drama, but I'm not a Swifty girl. Ooh, what's the Swifty drama? Oh all the X's and all the drama around it. Ooh. I love it. Oh, okay. It's quite exciting. Uh, to, be, to be honest, I like watching Swifties react to it because they're obviously right, very okay. into it and heartfelt. And I'm just like, this is amazing. If only I had an inkling of that. If you were to be hugely obsessed with a band or a musical artist, who would it be? Mm. Like to the degree that Swifties are into Taylor Swift. Oh, this is a good question. I uh, do you want you. do you want the Rebecca Law? Yes, I probably always. as a teenager always. I was probably into Green Day that much, which oh. really dates me intensely specifically. But there you go. No, it dates me as well. I, yeah, it's very much our era. Yeah, I think I probably was at like 14, but like it okay. was one of the ways of being a nerd that I did actually grow out of, which is not to say that I think <laughs> oh, that you really? should grow out of your like nerdery, but you cannot take every childish thing into adulthood and being like celebrity obsessed is a thing that I, I just oh. stopped having. <laughs> I thought you just meant Green Day, not not the cult of celebrity i thought you were like oh yeah i, oh, I don't oh, no, carry my no, childish I still thing like green, green day. day i still like 
the music of Green Day, I still enjoy their music. Although I'm like three albums behind, I've realized lately. And I'm like, geez, I need to catch up. But no, I mean, like, yeah, the whole, I don't really have celebrity obsessions anymore. It's one of the things I just stopped doing when I was about like 18 or 19. So yeah, that's completely fair. Yeah. yeah, I'm still okay. a massive nerd for everything else, but you know, some things you just have to drop. <laughs> yeah, we had that conversation of like, we, like, what celebrities would you stand in a queue for? Like, how long would you stand in a queue for? Oh, yeah, uh, yeah. While we were thinking of um, <laughs> of Hayden standing in all the queues of Critical Role, and I honestly couldn't think <laughs> of any of any celebrity I would do that for, or any figure, or any writer, author, TV I person. Know, I know, right? Couldn't. I mean, this was when we were at Comic-Con and there were actors there who I have really liked for a long time. And I was like, I'm not standing in that queue though. I'd rather hang out with you guys and look at yeah. silly merch rather than like, you yeah. know. Hold on. Does that mean that the real celebrities who would have queued for is each other? Oh, is I that think, cute or narcissistic? I, I, I can't tell. I don't know. I wouldn't, I wouldn't mm, queue to meet maybe. me. I'd queue <laughs> to meet you guys. I'd queue to meet you. We've hopped on trains for hours to meet each other. Yeah. Very that's, true. That's yeah. true. Very, very that's true. true. So there it is. I'll tell you what, though, uh, an awful turnout for the first indie venture fan meet, let me tell you. Uh, <laughs> yeah, what the, what the fuck, guys? Hello and welcome to Indie Venture, a podcast about indie games. Blimey O'Reilly, it's episode four. And this week, we're going to attempt to answer a question we've been collectively pondering for some time. What does success look like for indie games? Now, quantifying success is a nebulous, difficult task at the best of times, but in the world of indies, doing so is even more challenging. Is success measured financially, critically, or is it something more qualitative instead? Should indies be evaluated in comparison to their AAA counterparts? And by doing so, does that impact our perception of what an indie game even is? I'm Liam Richardson, and this week I'll be deploying my best vocal fry to trick you into thinking I'm a serious journalist who has never admitted to wanting to eat a pine cone off the ground <laughs> on this very podcast. I'm also joined, as ever, by my two very serious co-hosts, Rebecca Jones Hello. and Rachel Watts. Hello. Push his glasses up nose. I like I, this, I, yes. I'm actually the only one of us three who doesn't have glasses. Yeah. So I had to... That's a good point, yeah, actually. Yeah, to imagine yeah. it. Does that mean yeah. that you're the jock of the group? I uh, I'm the Chad, yes. Yeah, I think it's fair. The Rachel is the jock of the group. Yeah, I am absolutely 100% the Chad jock of the group. Yeah. Do you know that meme of the three people walking to the music? Oh, this is such a specific terminally online thing. No, the what doc, is it? Dr. Livesley, <laughs> Dr. Livesley walk. Have you seen that? Um, no, I'm okay. Dr. Because to... I kind of, I kind of think they have oh, us energy. Oh, this. <laughs> Oh my god, I have seen this. Oh, oh yeah, I've seen variations on this. Yeah, I've, would you believe I've seen yeah. an Ace Attorney variant? The on Ace this Attorney anyway. one, yeah, I knew that. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. yeah, you're the one in the middle, Rachel. You're the you're the Chad of the, yeah, of the trio. I think. I definitely uh, am. To Rebecca and I. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Hello, I how are you that. two doing? Are you doing all right? It's nice to nice to be back. Yeah. I mean, bloody hell, the podcast is out now. People have been listening to it. Reception has yes. been amazing so far. No. A uh, huge thank you to everyone who's been listening. Do really appreciate it. Yes, thank you so thank much. Thank you. And we also saw each other as well. We saw each other. We went to London Ed. and we met up. And that was that was pretty bloody nice, wasn't it? It was great. Had a it nice was little adventure. So nice. It was nice. We bullied each other into buying embarrassing merch at Comic-Con. I think that <laughs> yes. is my outstanding <laughs> yes. memory of the day. I mean, speak for yourself. My Leon S. Kennedy baby girl pin badge is... One of my most treasured items, it's I think. Fantastic, <laughs> I <absolutely> love it. <laughs> yeah, what a find! Also, we really should have got that that mouse mat that had like the booby mouse mat. But it was like Babs, 
Who pointed that out? From chicken <laughs> oh, Babs from chicken oh my god. Yeah. <laughs> Why is that I totally thing? forgot Why about that. Exist? I think we should have got it. I do. I think I about think, it yeah. often. <laughs> I th- we should have got th- walked up in three, please. <laughs> yeah, amazing. Oh, we should see if that seller's online and get some. Oh, we actually oh, should, yeah. That's bound to be online. You can you can find any unhinged things online. Could we uh, could we request three Babs booby mouse mats for uh, review consideration, please? Uh, <laughs> oh, no. My favorite indie game of twenty twenty three was the the Babs and Chicken Run booby mouse map. <laughs> oh, no. Spoilers! Spoilers for an upcoming yeah. episode. <laughs> well, we haven't got it. We need to order them. Maybe they're a letdown. They can't be a letdown. How can something that beautiful be a letdown? I, I want to know if it gives me good wrist support, Liam. <laughs> I want to know if her cleavage. What? Okay, but if her if her if her butt gives good wrist support. What was it? Was what? it her butt? It was eggs. It, oh, it was, was eggs. eggs, wasn't it? Yeah. Yeah. Which I don't mm. think Babs lays eggs in in the course of Chicken Run's runtime. Chicken runtime, if you will. Oh, God. <laughs> stop! Stop! Wait! It's been a wait. long day. No, because they all do at the. Be- I didn't really want to get Did into they? Chicken Run. You know what? There's Chicken Run too, and I was like, "Why?" It's out uh, at Christmas. Okay. Weirdly, right? My my sister messaged us, and she didn't say, "Can we see you for Christmas?" She said, "Can we see you to watch Chicken Run two as a family?" It's the only plan <laughs> oh, I have in my family in December that's to watch sweet. Chicken Run two. Uh, the um the figurines went to the the premiere. Did you see that? No, the I actual didn't see that. figurines of the chickens went to the premiere, and they Ardman dressed them up in like suits and stuff, that's and people cute. took pictures of them. That is cute. Quite though. like that, actually. Yeah. yeah, quite into that as an idea. Still want to eat. I can't them. tell if Babs. I'm, I'm googling furiously. Does Babs lay an egg in Chicken Run? And I'm not finding a definitive answer. It's, uh, it's definitely one of those weirdly. where the, the sequel gap creates so many questions in my mind. You know, it's been like it's been a long time since the first Chicken Run film, right? That was that was like 20 years ago. Mm. Yeah, easily, right? We yeah. were kids when that came out. Surely, it's yeah. like Space Jam. It did not need a sequel. Maybe the sequel's good. Uh, no shade on Ardman. I wish them all the best, but I'm going to be sitting there the entire time when I inevitably watch it, thinking like, could a chicken live 20 years though? Like, is that this? <laughs> oh, do you think it's like Twin Peaks when it's like it literally has been 25 years later? Yes, I think it's exactly Twin Peaks: The Return. Chicken Run. Chicken Run: The Return. <laughs> yes. Okay, but that would be an epic crossover. I would actually, that would make me a lot more interested in this sequel, to be honest. Like, the, like instead of the Red Room, it's like the Red Hutch. Oh, and yep, like that, that, like that, that, like the little rat in the suit is like dancing. Oh my god! Drop everything. We need to pitch this. <laughs> yeah. Who's be the great. Laura Palmer of Chicken Run? Is it Babs? I, is it? Is I it? think oh, it, it might be Babs. Doesn't one okay. of the chickens in Chicken Run like get murdered? Like that's how they find out what's going on, right? It's been a oh, long time since I saw it, but they should been like the the spectre of death is ever present. That's sort of the motivator of the <laughs> film. Like, it's, oh my god! I guess Jesus I guess you're Christ. right. I guess the spectre of death is ever present in Ardman children's movie Chicken Run. She doesn't want to be a pie. I think we all know what She's that like means. She's like gravy. God, that is fucked up. That movie, actually. You know, when when we start these podcasts, I always have like a vague idea of where it might go, and it never ever right? fucking goes where I think it is. What? The spectre of us. death is ever present in Chicken Run. <laughs> but I couldn't have in a million years have guessed that that would have been said within the first 15 minutes of this podcast. I didn't know it was going to happen until it, it just came out of my mouth and I was like, okay. It just really makes <laughs> you think. We're asking the right questions yeah. here. We are. What, this the, is what, a challenging podcast. What does the gravy represent in the pie of death in Chicken Run? <gasps> Capitalism. 
Yes. All liquid right. life. Problem solved. Indie games. <laughs> Hold on. What? Liquid life. What do you mean? Yeah, like life essence. Yeah. So... Wait, are they being... Okay. Okay, but like... Okay, so they're being made into pies. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. And so how do they make the... Gra- is the gravy already something that exists? Oh, I mean, you can chicken have chicken gravy. stock gravy, right? So, I mean, I'm, I don't eat meat, so... Okay, so maybe the gravy is because there's the there's the machine, right? And obviously that's the capitalist yeah. machine, right? Humans get put oh, okay. in, living beings get put in, and a product comes out. So that's kind of straightforward, right? Yeah, that makes sense. So yeah, yeah what okay. would the gravy be? Also, what's her name? Mrs. Tweedy. Yeah. Who's she? Oh, and isn't she married to someone? Who's he? And there's a dog. Who are they? The state. Oh, okay. Oh, the and and the the dog is the. <laughs> The dog is the arm of force, like police force. Oh, and oh he's incompetent God. as well. Getting political here, Indie Venture, right? Okay, I'm going to stop. And Mr. Now. Tweedy is like passive. He's like a passive man who Weak. benefits from system, but Cowardly. doesn't stick up for the people who are being oppressed by it. Oh my What's God, this wow. is like <laughs> Chicken Run. Maybe they did need a sequel. They didn't explore everything in the first film. They did like another hour yeah, and twenty right. minutes to explore. I'm assuming it's a, it's a children's film length, right? They're not going to go for like a three-hour epic, war epic. It's the, it's the length of Flowers of the Killer Moon or whatever that Scorsese film is. Oh, yeah. Yeah, they're going, they're going after Scorsese this this season. Good for Definitely. them. Definitely. I mean, Netflix yeah. have been looking for an Oscar winner, so uh, I, hope, <laughs> I hope Chicken Run 2 is the... Uh, okay, but does Chicken Run 2 have a punny for. name? Do they give it a punny name? Sorry, last question. Oh. Like, you know, like how it's like Alvin and the Chipmunks, the squeakle? Like, I'm thinking that Correct. level yeah. of, like, punnage. Chicken Run 2. Oh, yeah. Dawn of Dawn of the Nugget. Oh, I don't know oh about that. Oh, my God, no. Oh, that's bad. No, that's, that's bad. dreadful. That's awful. The squeakle was great, though. The squeakle was like, yeah, squeakle for on a point. time, I thought it was going to give Electric Boogaloo a run for its money as the default sequel name <laughs> that we all say is a joke. Um, it's like equal parts again, tacky but... and, and punny. Yeah. Like you're like, oh, it's be like, very, oh, very it's funny. Dawn of the Nugget is like not it. Yeah, it's just, it doesn't no. make any sense. It's it's just horrifying. Whichever way you look yeah. at it, it's just I mean, maybe that's the point. Maybe it is gonna be like an hour and a half of like nihilistic introspection about the uh the horrors of the capitalist system. And if it is, you know what I'd be impressed. Like I probably wouldn't watch it because we should I'm watch sad this enough, film, guys. But... <laughs> we should we sh- watch yeah, this. We should film. watch this. We've convinced ourselves the life out we of should. it. <laughs> if if you like the podcast. Let us know. Contact at interventurepodcast.co.uk. <laughs> Leave us a five-star review on iTunes. Let's build up this base. And eventually, we'll, we'll do extra episodes where we analyse the shit out of Chicken Run 2. I think there's a lot there to I'd be, be so up for that. Yes. I think so. I think so. We are a serious podcast, aren't we? We're asking, we're just asking questions uh, is what we're doing here at Indie Venture. Yeah. All good podcasts, you ask questions and you don't answer them, but you ask them in a way in which it's like, but is it? Hmm. You could not have set up a segue for section one better, Rachel, as we delve into asking a question and not really answering it. <laughs> <laughs> I've been thinking about what success even looks like in the run-up to this episode. We're talking about what we think success looks like in the indie space. As alluded to there, we're not going to answer this question. I think it's too broad. Absolutely. I am hoping we can reach some conclusions about the concept of success within this space. And in service of that goal, I've come up with five potential definitions for what I think success could mean within the indie space. So I thought we would go through my 
little definitions and have a little chat and try and work out which ones we think are correct and accurate and sort of what that means and also maybe challenge our ideas of how success alters that perception of independent media does that sound absolutely good to you too sounds good yeah. to me so first definition i think is what i'm referring to as quote unquote traditional success and this is purely motivated by financials these are games that sell millions of copies and make a lot of money now do you know what and I think you might be quite surprised by this. The best-selling indie games of all time are. Because I found a list of them. And bearing in mind that indie games aren't as often as well-reported in terms of sales figures as AAA games. I mean, even AAA games, sometimes they just don't tell you how many, how many copies they sell. Mm. But I'm going to read out the top 10 best-selling indie games. Ooh. And I think sometimes you'll be like, okay, that makes sense. And I think others, I was quite shocked. So... Number one, Minecraft, it's mm. 60 million. Wow. Now, that, they stopped counting that when Mojang was published by Microsoft. It's now over 200 million, but it's still number one at 60 from when it was indie, which I think makes a lot of sense. It yeah. does. Yep. Number two is Terraria at 44.5 million. Mm -hmm. Number three is Human Fall Flat. No way. I knew that was popular, yeah. but... Number four, we have Castle Crashes at oh. 20 million, which... Makes sense. A very early indie game from 2008. Yeah. And, and one I honestly don't think about much these days, but it makes sense why it was such a success. In number five, we have Gary's Mod at 20 million. This is the Half-Life modding tool by Face Punch Studios, which I'm quite surprised by. Six, we have Stardew Valley, also at 20 million. Yeah, I thought Stardew would be up there somewhere. Then there's a big drop off with Fall Guys at 11 million. Again, they stopped counting at December 2020 when the company was picked up by Epic. Damn. Then we have Rocket League at 10.5 million, again, mm -hmm. after they were picked up by Epic. Uh, and then we have Valheim with 10 million as well, which Valheim. also makes sense. Interesting. I am, I'm so glad that you read that particular article because I must have read the same one a few weeks ago um, because mm. I actually looked this up for an article that I was writing um, back when Dredge Ooh. sold its millionth copy. Mm. But I yeah. think there's a lot of interest to be got from the fact I don't think there's a single game on that list that is wholly single player, which I think makes sense, oh, but yeah. also says a lot about, you know, the way that things sell in this industry, right? Absolutely. Yeah, it's what's interesting about that list is like, it, it really does speak to the kinds of games that get quote unquote mainstream success. I am so shocked that Human Fall Flat is third. Now, yeah. I like Human Fall Flat, but I never, ever think of it as being the third best-selling indie game of all time, right. only behind Minecraft and Terraria. Like That is wild. I guess from that perspective, like, yeah, in terms of cold, hard cash, and again, this, is, this isn't like an accurate list, I don't think. I, I do think that there's going to be other games out there that have probably sold more copies that just haven't been reported on. But like, yeah, multiplayer games that are given a lift by other services or by YouTubers or things like that. That's pretty successful, right? I think it's it's hard in a capitalist society not to look at those metrics and say, well, those games were successful. Isn't um the Humans for Flat Devs, haven't they got another game coming out next year? No like, Breaks Games. Yeah, because they, they, they released that game. And then I don't know when that came out years ago, right? And I think they're bringing out another one next year. It's like, it's like in a building site. So that is interesting as well, as in like they had such a successful game and then obviously I guess they're releasing a sequel to that. It is yeah, that, Human right? Yeah, Human Fall Flat 2. Yeah, 
Human okay, Fall Flat God. 2 comes out next year. Wow, he just literally said, yeah, 2. Yeah, I suppose another thing about like pretty much every game on that list is it has had or has quite a long life to it as well. Um, I don't yeah. want to just straight up compare any of those games to kind of AAA life service games because I think that... <laughs> Without yeah. wishing to be too um, reductive about it, I think more care has gone into all of those games than uh, your average mm. live service AAA. Sorry, people who make them. I know that you must be passionate about your job too, and it sucks. But I think there's a difference as well between a, a game that receives constant content updates to line the pockets of executives and a game that keeps getting worked on over the course of many years because the creator clearly enjoys it and yeah, sees fair. no end to their vision. Like Stardew Valley. I was just right? thinking like Stardew Valley is like such a perfect example mm, of yeah. this. Because that has had that still gets content updates all the time, even though developer concerned it by working on uh, Haunted Chocolatier. Yeah, their second it game? looks so good. It looks, very, it looks very, very good. So that, honestly, that's like the most boring, in my t- eyes anyway, it must be very lovely when you work that hard and get financially compensated to that degree. I think that is, in terms of success, very traditional, very accepted by society as this is what success looks like. And I think I'm maybe a little more interested in discussing these fringe cases yeah. and just trying to see how we feel about them. Second on my list, we have critical success. So these are games that are lauded by publications and fans, but might not see that positive reception replicated in terms of sales so i mean there are so many indie games that are praised by outlets or receive overwhelmingly positive reviews on steam games that we have shouted about on the podcast that we've done over the past year that might not have been as financially successful as maybe they should have been um i was thinking a bit about season a letter to the future which came out earlier this year i know rachel you had a lot of good things to say about that game yes and the developer sadly had to lay off half of its staff because it did not make as much money to you know recuperate its costs and it's sad because there's like a a disconnect there between people really loved that game and unfortunately it it didn't reach what we would come to describe as mainstream success yeah i think there's definitely like this idea that you can have you can be like a critics indie darling and still do terribly with sales like i spoke Mm. to um for an article, the case of the Golden Idol devs recently, Color Grey Games, and they said that even though all the accolades and stuff they were getting, all the awards from from last year they were getting, in terms of like units being pushed, it was like a yeah. slow and steady. It wasn't like a boom. We've released the game, and now it's all. actually one of the things that they highlighted was they started to get traction when Lucas Pope shouted out their game because Interesting. who developed okay. Return of the Oberdin, which is comparable to Case of Golden Idol. We talked a bit about it before. Mm. But they were like, in terms of what got us on the map, critics and stuff, that was great. But people who follow players and who followed Lucas Pope, and Lucas Pope doesn't tweet a lot, when he promoted this indie game that no one had really heard of, this is still early mm. in development, but it got them traction. And that was the big a big deal for them. And so, yeah, got them wish lists, wish lists on Steam. And we've talked about it as well, like the importance of wishlisting games and mm-hmm. like developers really f- asking players to leave reviews on the Steam page because yeah. that mm-hmm. helps more with, with like pushing units. So I don't know. I feel like even though we've, I think there's so much to say about like if reviews are even like a thing that should be done anymore, like what is their role in terms mm-hmm. of the games industry? What, what do they, what role do they play? 
So mm. yeah, it's interesting. I mean, we can we can be like, yeah, these are like the best PC gamer can be like, these are the best games that came out this year. But it's is like are you like what what is that doing? Who's that? Who's that? Like what what's happening there? I think that's really interesting. One thing I maybe wanted to touch upon with the first classification of traditional success stories, Minecraft, Stardew mm-hmm. Valley. I think there is a huge degree of discoverability that goes into those projects that I think is becoming harder and harder as saturation grows, as it becomes easier to make games, which is incredible because it democratizes development. We, we, We get this situation where there are so many games released on Steam every single day. You can't just expect the cream to rise to the top. What if there's so much cream that you just don't have enough time to play all these things right like i would say yes. the three of us consume more indie games than most people yeah but i i, I still always feel like i'm falling behind oh god i'm massively yeah. behind at all times yeah absolutely like, it's just it, it is so much and it all looks like it can just be amazing right there are honestly yeah. i've got a, a list on my computer because this is the way my brain works i have to have lists in my eyeline at all times <laughs> to know what i'm going to do next and i have 25 indie games that were released this year that i've still not touched that i would really love to play because they look like really, you know, the sort of stuff that I love. A lot of them are like, you know, getting potential game of the year, like lauded. Mm -hmm. And I'm just like, I realistically, I don't think I can pick up any more games between now and the end of the year and finish anything that I'm currently playing. And that's a really interesting point as well. It's a great problem to have, but it does, you do feel bad for those devs, right? Because, you know, everyone's in that boat. But also critics miss big games. Like, yeah. There are so many games like for me, Omori that released like was it 2021, 2022? Massive fan base. Massive. Yeah. And yeah. no one reviewed it. No one chatted about it. This year, like arguably indie or not, whatever, Dave the Diver has gone massively under people's radars, except mm-hmm. for fans who are literally just like, this game is one of the best of the year. Then critics started picking it up. And I think that is a really good point, Rebecca. Like, there's so many games that like yeah. critics have to pay attention to. And it's all like when you have mm. a group of fans who are actually going to buy the game over critics who are just going to write a couple of articles, get some yes. SEO, get some clicks and disappear into the ether, like, mm-hmm. who's more important? Well, exactly. It's probably the fans. To, exactly. Yeah. I mean, not to make it, you know, too much about our, uh, you know, the way our jobs work or have worked in the past, but <laughs> yes. like, the way that... that <laughs> not me just shitting on our jobs. <laughs> <laughs> critics <laughs> don't need them. <laughs> more neutral about it i was gonna say um you know as as a professional in in games journalism all of that all of that looking at indie games and i think like the three of us would happily focus on indie games like as much as we can professionally mm-hmm. but certainly like where i still yeah. work and where we've all worked at times you have to work all this around you've got to hit baldur's gate 3 you've got to hit starfield yeah. spider-man 2 oh, you know all 100%. of the all of the big um, you know, all the big triple A's coming out, you've still got to make sure that you've got a working knowledge of those as well. And so it's just like, yeah, I, you know, frankly, between you and me, I'd, I'd happily give a few of those the boot. Not all of them. I do, you know, I have enjoyed a couple of big triple A's this year, but I would have liked to have seen my, you know, professional life this year more geared towards indies with mm. the occasional triple yeah. A, but the way that, you know, the way the SEO works and the way that the market works for our jobs does mean that indie has to be something that you fund through triple A. Yeah. Not the other yeah. way around, sadly. Um, but yeah, it's very, very true. That raises this small issue really with, is it an issue? I think what you find is that every year 
critics will gravitate towards one or two indies and those indies will become the critical choice of the year like i love dredge i don't want what i'm about to say to be any shade on dredge but i think dredge got a bit of a groundswell by a couple of critics Mm. and then everyone else sort of saw it as like okay well i'm gonna try that out because everyone else is playing it and you have such limited free time and such limited brain space for indies when you're working in games full time that I think sometimes critics, they, they do have to pick and choose. You know, maybe they go for quote unquote safer bets. It's, you know, I, I know that when I was at RPS, just speaking for myself here, I didn't have time and as much as I'd love to, to have just played as much as I could just to see mm-hmm. what was out there, to find those tiny little games that you can then shout about and say, look, no one's playing this and, and people should. And mm. I think the idea of critical success I guess this this classification does have two parts, right? It has, what are the critics saying about it? You know, acting as curators for the industry, which I do think a lot of critics are. And then you have, well, what are the fans saying? You know, is does it have overwhelmingly positive reviews on Steam? What are people saying about it? And and yeah, I, I, do, I do wonder how that must be for developers. You know, if their game gets a 10 and edge, but then doesn't translate to sales... Probably How frustrating. Probably incredibly yeah. frustrating. I, I think the other right? thing as well is like marketability as well, because like with Dredge, it's like yeah. a f- horror fishing game. Three yeah. horror fishing. Yeah. Three words. Like, like fishing yeah. games are so in at the moment as well, which has got to be a huge factor in. I feel like Dredge has both yeah. fed off of and fed into the fact that fishing games are big on right? the yeah. scene right now. So that's like three words. Case of the Golden yeah. Idol devs, again, they were like, well, part of our problem was we couldn't describe the fucking game in like 20 words or less it's a it's a fill in the blank yeah. mystery point and click that takes space place over like 20 years 50 years in the 18th yeah. century like just describing their game was like like if your game can yeah. be summed up in a couple of words and unfortunately again critics news seo google and all that the reason sometimes why you won't see an indie game in the headline any indie game name in the headline of like an indie game article is because it won't track unless your yep. game is a hook pun intended for dredge <laughs> that's a good one um so there's so i think with with like it's interesting how we have like quite an in-depth experience of like this aspect of the industry like this yeah. like critics as well is like such a it's such a almost like a dice roll like you could like play a game and it might not click with you for me it was it was um paradise killer played the game mm. a year before was like nah i'm not into the demo at all then the game came out people started chatting about it and i was like all oh, right i gotta play it and it was the best thing mm. ever so like i wouldn't yeah. have played that game again again unless it was for chat or it had won awards or it had like garnered yeah. interest your time to yeah. make a decision is so limited it's like yeah. um so yeah. oh i don't know if i should name the game it seems mean-spirited to name the game that i just had to bounce off of after an hour and should I we bleep it out <laughs> okay i'll say it because it's um is one that Rachel got me a code for and I was really excited to try it and an hour in I was like it's just not clicked and I don't have the time to wait to get invested you know which is a real shame Um, but it's that exact feeling it's like if you know it's it's if if you don't feel hooked oh my god we're gonna (laughs) I'm gonna not I'm just gonna keep thinking about the hooked (laughs) metaphor now you know like with Dredge an hour in I was invested and with yeah please bleep that (laughs) I was just I just it was fine it was good even I just couldn't you know, couldn't find a reason to keep playing it instead of one of the 
dozens of other games that I was trying to consider yeah. at the same time in the same categories, you know. Another thing about um, different ways that critics and audiences interact with games, I have a little bit of inside baseball on this. I don't want to keep talking about day jobs too much, but I find this one really interesting. No, go on. Ooh. Um, is that uh, a couple of years ago, I was asked by my once and future editor, James, at VG247, uh, where I do guides. I was asked, hey, there's this game trending. Um, I think I've heard you talk about it. Can you see if there are any guides in it? And it was Monster Prom, which, as you may know, is one of my favourite yeah. games mm-hmm. of all time. Quite possibly Wait, my favourite indie. <laughs> what is that game? <laughs> it is Monster Prom. We're all going to find prom dates. Um, like, genuinely, almost certainly my favourite indie game uh, that I've ever played. Yeah. And I was like so thrilled that it was trending. And I was like, I'm going to get to do some guides on my favourite indie game. This is amazing. And when I looked into the thing, like the terms that were trending with it, it was a lot of things like head cannons and fan art and fan fiction and oh. stuff that just there is no remit in what we do really to cover that as well. Yeah. So it's just a, a case of a, a game that is really well designed to get its audience and its fans. And that fan base is passionate enough that, you know, they were showing up in Google Trends after a certain update dropped or whatever. Um, But there is kind of no um, established way for traditional games, media or critics to engage with it in that way. And obviously there was me engaging with it on a fanish level at the same time out of work, but unable to kind of bring that into the the workspace and kind of, you know, marry that fanish interest to, to the professional interest, even though on paper it should have been possible. You see what I'm saying? That is a fascinating measure of success that I hadn't actually considered. So I'm really glad you brought that up because you reminded me of, was it a Flash game? A Friday Night Funkin' that became oh, like huge yeah. two years ago. And I, I, do, I don't know a huge amount about the game, but I know that it got an incredible modding and fan art and like just the scene around it was enormous. Yeah. And I don't think I saw a single person in our industry talking about it. But it, I did. Uh, oh, did you? Oh, yeah. of course. <laughs> well, I mean, sorry, uh, no one in the industry other than literally someone who could not have their finger harder on the pulse. Rachel Watts, everybody. Uh, if, <laughs> you think about a game and she'll DM you saying, I'm playing it right now. And you're like, oh, okay, I'll just send you the message true. you, Rachel. It happened uh, to me this week. <laughs> it happened to me as well. Um, but yeah, that's a really interesting measure of success that I did not think yeah. about. A, a game that captures the imagination of an audience and gets success almost through people's relationship with it, not mm. just the actual game itself. Like mm-hmm. Just writing good characters can carry you a really long way and it almost can't make a yeah. dent in the way that critics can engage with a game that, you know. Yeah. That's so interesting. It is really, really interesting as an idea. About the guide stuff. Yeah, there's, there's nothing I can do. I mean, if you if you have something like for example, at the moment, it's on my mind a lot, Baldur's Gate 3, the romanceable companions yeah. are also buildable characters. I can do a lot of stuff with Astarian or Karlak as search terms because of that. Mm. But, mm-hmm. you know, the equivalent in Monster Prom is it's literally like how to romance every character and that is the entire game and that is not what people are searching for. So there's just no way in yeah. from a like SEO perspective, which I hate how much I said SEO on this podcast today, but it is actually how, yeah. we, how we run things well, in the back end. So, when I you know. said it, I was like... Oh. Yeah, I know. I feel, like, feel it, a bit gross. <laughs> it goes to show about how hard it is. It's a losing game for everyone involved. Like, there's not a single person who writes about video games who doesn't want 
to break the story of this incredible game that no one's playing. Yeah. Like, oh, I think yeah. that's probably why most of us get into the industry is we we want to be the champions of of games that deserve to be played and loved. And unfortunately, the system doesn't always accommodate that. Jeez, but, I mean, I mean yeah. you're here listening to this, so <laughs> clearly you're looking for that. And thank you for being here. <laughs> mm, thank you. Thank you for letting yeah. me hyperfixate on fictional characters in a way that I thought I might be able to do in my day job more than I now realise I am allowed to do. <laughs> Love that. Oh my God. It's so true. Oh, that's uh, funny. So, all right. I've got so much, I've got so much mileage to get out of this Astarian build. It's going to be like <laughs> eight paragraphs of enduring like commentary and also he can only really wear light armor so deal with that i guess didn't wear anything in my playthrough <laughs> moving on i think the next classification is personal success so this is literally just recouping enough money to make up what you spent and fund your next thing and i think there's a lot of developers that survive this way they literally just make enough success that they can keep working on the next thing i was thinking of things like maybe like rusty lake that we've spoken I'm about thinking a Rusty bit Lake the last is probably a good example of that. I don't know how they work internally, but yeah, the off-peak city games by Cosmo D, like these sort of like very fringe projects that keep getting made, and you can only assume that they've found enough success that they're able to continue creating. I feel like that's that's definitely a a measure. I think that's very true. I would also, I mean, it's sort of name an name an indie dev who manages to consistently put out a game every year or so, and you're probably looking at someone who works on that model, right? Especially when you're looking at mm -hmm. like one or two person teams. Um, the other example other than Rusty Lake that sprung to mind just then was uh, NPCKC, who made A Year of Springs, another of my favorite indie games. Oh, and yeah. oh, I yeah. recently went back to their storefront on Steam and realized that they've brought out like three more games since I like sort of last had a look at what they're doing. Um, and awesome. they are a solo dev. So I'm thinking like that again must be the, and you know, their games aren't expensive, but it's got yeah. that kind of like, you know, word of mouth, kind of feeling a niche in terms of like what certain players want to see. Um, yeah. And, you know, it's like, yeah, it, it's that sort of, I don't know. I don't want to say like, I don't want to say hand to mouth. That's the wrong, that's the wrong way to, to put it, but it is like that sort of like, just not worrying too much about exponential growth and just like maintaining yeah, and making that's art. How I'd say I feel it more. like that's the, that's kind of a dream, I think, for a lot of for a lot of indie creators would be just to yeah. be able to sustain the work that you're doing. Yeah. And, you know, keep making like art under your own terms entirely. Right. It's the goal for everyone. Yeah. Is I mean, to yeah. make Basically, art yeah. to sustain your life. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Because it's interesting because the 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 uh the developers that I think when I see that is sock pop who have the oh, pre Patreon format. Such, yes. mm, so that's a good they, point. I mean, consider Patreon. Right? So like they have just cut out this whole marketing business like idea. They just cut that out and now through their Patreon release. They used, I used to be a Patreon a couple, maybe a year or two ago. I don't know how we do it now, but it was the case that there's like three of them and one of them would bring out a game every month. And the idea was that the Patreon would be, would be going towards the bigger games they are working on. They would make little games, huh. but then the money you would give them, you'd get the little games, but then it'd be going towards these bigger projects they'd be working on. I don't know, like Burner Bad. I've not heard. I've not heard about what's the situation with that game for many years now. 
Um, but that was like their setup. I'm not sure if it's the same right now. I think they still are doing the Patreon thing, but maybe it's like, maybe there is like not one a month. Or was it one every two weeks? It was something wild. It was something honestly they wild. Doing, I, know, yeah. I know they're still making games because I see them. Um, I see them around, but that kind of setup is is interesting as well. Like they are self funding through crowd like crowdfunding. So that is interesting. I've always really, mm. l- like, I've been surprised that no one else has done that before. Like, the same yeah. thing. But at the same time, the churn of games that they've put out is, like, is intense. Like, yeah. making, yeah. like, like they're through them, but making, like, a game every couple of weeks is, like... And I think for them, it was, like, they wanted to explore creative ideas and kind of pursue projects that... Which is like the dream, right? They could like dip into genres that they make little games and see what people's reactions were. And I think yeah. that's that was interesting. I'm honestly not sure about the bigger projects though, because if you're making your little games, you don't have, you don't have time to work on the the big game which you're making money for. So, but yeah, that came to mind when I was looking at the at that point because hmm. that's cool as fuck. Uh, that cool. sock pop could not be a better example for that. I completely agree. Yeah. What are they? Are they but, they're still definitely going, right? Sock. I was just looking. Yeah, yeah, you can still subscribe to the Patreon. They released a game uh, this month, I think I just saw. We're making a hundred games. Another, another developer doing that Chillers Art as well as one that comes to mind when I think of yes. like, Patreon supporters. Yes. And they they just brought out another one. Like Parasocial only came out a couple of months ago and they just brought out another new one, which yes. is just so impressive. I mean, like they... I think they've got a really nice rhythm going of like regular new games, but nothing too sort of, I'm not too worried about the state of the developers at Chiller's Art. You know, I think they've got a nice rhythm going with art. Yeah. They just like release a game whenever, like it's like, Oh, a new Chiller's Art game. That's cute. Um, Instead of it being like, God, we're on a schedule and people will not be happy. Well, I don't think that, but like they need to like release because people are paying like monthly towards it. Chiller's Art is also a really good one. I, I love, I think for me personally, this is the one that feels like the success that I would be most happy with. Yeah. It's just being able to sort of maybe not worry-free create what I want to create for the rest of, or for as long as I can, but to be sustainable enough that there's food on the table, the mortgage is paid, and I get to to do something creative. I feel like it's probably not that uh romantic <laughs> in reality <laughs> but I, I think it's it's nice that there are ways that this can be sustainable for for people who want to try it i'd mm. love to bring up a quick like counterpoint on this not as a argument against but just as another way of looking at, at this kind of um way of measuring success which is i've been thinking a lot recently um when, when we start talking about doing this episode about um indie studios who partner with AAA publishers um mm-hmm. yeah. because uh just just not long ago, um, Little Goody Two-Shoes released, which is a very indie yeah. game that's been published by Square Enix. And obviously that's Mad. like... It, right? It's just... You, Wild. Well, it must, it's so left field. It must be working yeah, for everybody, right? Because, you know, you've got all the big publishers seem to want to have, like, a few indie studios they're partnered with to, mm-hmm. to be bringing out these indie games. Um, you know, we talked about Power Wash Simulator is another one. You've got the EA Originals program. We've talked about this before, so I don't want to go into it in too much detail, but mm-hmm. I just think it's like, obviously there must be a certain, if not giving up of creative control, then at least a rigorous sort of acceptance process to be published by someone that yeah. huge. But I basically, basically, I just really want to read you this thing in my notes that I've written because I like it where it says... <laughs> 
think Joseph Farris might fuck you up if you suggest he's not an indie dev just because EA publishes games. So. Oh, absolutely. He would stab you. Yeah. But he's he's oh. unhinged. He is unhinged. Uh, I would argue he's not an indie. Yeah, same. Yeah, I mean, you can, you can, sauce and, babe. Uh, you can go and take that to Joseph Farris. I just really like that. I would be kidding me. Notes. I hope he never hears this. <laughs> I'm terrified um, of that guy. He would literally. He wouldn't even subtweet. He'd full on tag us all. Mm. He'd I come mean, to my house. Yeah, he would. Come to, yeah. <laughs> I mean, I would. I. I don't know. I would reassess because I haven't had a look at what he's doing in a couple of years. But I would argue certainly that he exists on the indie continuum or has done at points in his career and well, Bro- brothers was a was an indie brothers, yeah. a way out i think yeah. is also can be argued as having oh. existed in his face like it's difficult it's right? like because every game is his inching exactly it's like, like indie mentality right we've, we've yes. spoken about this idea of indie mentality when approaching things this could be an entire other topic this could be uh, sorry i, I think I, I really just wanted to read the line in my notes i didn't want to derail it entirely but um well because it, it brings us in this case i'm going to jump to my last classification and then yeah. loop back to another one is this idea of broad success it's where indie games become so big they start to lose their independent mm. uh classification or like i don't know how you describe it they, they start to not feel like indie games anymore. So Yes, it's got to be a feeling, right? Yeah. Like, I was in Copenhagen over the weekend, and there was posters everywhere for Five Nights at Freddy's. There is a movie of an indie game. Like... There are spin-offs, rip-offs of that, like, of the movie. Yeah. Of, oh, of, yeah. of games. Yes. Yeah. It's really... Yeah. Like, it's big. Five Nights has become this thing, and it is still... I, <laughs> we don't have to talk about Scott Cawthorn and his... <laughs> incredibly questionable politics, mm. as that's all I'll say about that. But that is still very much owned by him. Like, he's not sold those rights. He has not done a Minecraft. He has not done a Fall Guys. Like, that is a movie that is technically still based on an independently owned video game. Wild. But yeah, do we still consider that to be indie? Like, and this is a question that we've had a few times before, but, you know, we look at Minecraft. Minecraft now, not an indie game. At one point, it very much was. Fall Guys was an indie success story purchased by Epic and then the way that Epic treated the people at Mediatonic, absolutely horrific. Like, Mm -hmm. to all those who lost their jobs recently, like, I I can't apologise enough and I hope you're all doing as best you can. You did amazing work there. But that that was an indie... Is that even an indie success story at that point? Like, it, it was to an extent, but then look how it was treated by the Fortnite people like it's just it's gross but yeah you sort of like look at these things can get so so successful that they lose all of their like original independent origins and that's great and that is success in almost its most capitalistic form right of where it gets to such a degree that it sort of becomes fuzzy and sort of like sad in some ways this is kind of my favorite aspect of this topic because i have so many like left field examples of this happening and hopefully i can bring you some that are happier than the fall guys yeah, please do. story um so this was like when i because i think i think it was me who sort of suggested this episode topic in the first place mm-hmm. um i just forget we all share the same brain and so sometimes <laughs> i forget the one same what. brain cell but I think this was me. I think this was me because I was really interested. I was thinking about things like the Five Nights at Freddy's movie, but uh-huh. also I got to thinking about um, 
Detention, which is a indie horror game yes. that I really love, which got a Netflix adaptation fairly recently. Um, Rachel, I know you've watched it. I haven't yet. I really mean to watch it, but just the fact that like you've it. got this... I know you didn't like it. Oh, I still want to watch it. Just um, whispers. I didn't like it. <laughs> regardless, almost, I don't want to say regardless of the quality of the adaptation, but yeah, it, the yeah. fact that this, it's still an entirely indie game. I and mean, Red Candle Games are like super indie, right? They, for yeah. various unfortunate reasons, can't even get published on Steam anymore. So um, they are really self-owned, self-published, even in the truest sense of like not really being tied to a platform anymore. And yet they, you know, Netflix have bought the rights mm-hmm. to produce a, a you know adaptation of one of their works which is pretty pretty special i think is something that's still very definitely in the indie space but other things i was thinking yeah. about as well were things like um dead by daylight which was mm-hmm. again started as indie mm. still arguably no one else really owns it as far as i'm aware but they've got the licenses for everything another couple of examples that i really liked um Pygen games who make the Simulacra series of found phone horror games that I really like. On the basis of that, we're commissioned to make a Doctor Who tie-in game on the same formula, but oh, using yeah. Doctor Who oh, characters. Oh yeah, I forgot about that. And yeah. of course, you've got the recent example of the Chinese room making Vampire the Masquerade Bloodlines 2, which I find yeah. to be an interesting, like... So it's just, you have got these cases of like, obviously bigger concerns are coming in and there must be an influence there. But yeah. again, it's... It's another version of success that I can imagine being quite satisfied with. Basically, like, if I was making Dead by Daylight and they were like, okay, write up a treatment for your favourite horror franchise to be included in Dead by Daylight mm. and we'll see if we can... You know, yeah. that's kind of... That's got the kind of, like, dream scenario written all it's over incredible. it as well, isn't it? Like yeah, a, yeah, yeah. a nerd getting to make a Doctor Who game because of the strength of their original yeah. games. That sort of thing. I don't want to say that, you know, these are glowing examples of things being fine forever because I think that that's unfortunately not where this industry is. Um, mm-hmm. But it, it kind of does go to show as well just that the the sort of... The whole continuum, which I don't even think is a continuum, it's more like a Venn diagram at this point of AAA, AA and indie. Yeah. There's, there's a lot of movement around it and you see a lot of a lot of companies now taking more of a punt on an indie studio to produce something of high quality especially if it's something that they they have a lot of provenance of doing a particular genre well well uh, you've just reminded me maybe the most in my mind like bonkers example of this is the crypt of the necro dancer developers making a zelda game yeah wow. what the like, fuck <laughs> nintendo gave them the zelda license to nintendo. make like a little oddball <laughs> indie yeah. rhythm game like yeah there are definitely good examples of this and i think it's it just becomes a bit messy at this level but you're right it must be incredible like you know if nintendo come knocking on your door and said you want to make a zelda game like and you've done that on your own back with your own ip with your own mechanics it's like it's incredible yeah it must be absolutely bonkers and now they're making another crypt of the necrodancer right so yep that's great so they didn't even have to like do anything with their own ip they ask nope. you something else and now they can just go back to their personal project. Yeah. And it's going to yep. be great because we played the demo and it was fucking amazing. Oh, we did, didn't um, we? Oh. Was it a Rift of the Necro Dancer? Rift of the Necro Dancer. Oh, I can't wait for that. It's yeah. so, so good. Final classification, a very quick one. These are long-term projects that find success after an extended period of time. I'm thinking of things like Among Us 
and projects mm. on Boyd, these games that have been in development Among for such us. a long time. <laughs> Among Us is one Among of us the is wildest wild. oh my goodness. success stories. Like the fact they were trying to sunset the game when it took off, oh. like, is just incredible. See, that's a success story. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. That's like very cutting clean. Yeah. Like, the idea of like anything that you walk into a toy shop and you see plushies on the shelves of the characters in the game, which is certainly my experience of Among Us, you know. I, I would actually go one step further. I would say that true bonkers wild success is when you see knockoff merch for the indie like the, game. Like uh, the playtime <laughs> stuff that you see everywhere. Yeah. Um, yes. playtime, oh Five Nights at Freddy's. Uh, I mean, Among Us is the biggest one. Uh, we were in <laughs> Spain earlier this year and the amount of like people on the streets who were selling Among Us t-shirts was <laughs> wild. Incredible. This is in 2023. This is arguably three years after the height of that game's popularity. Like, <laughs> the kids love those space beans. What can I say? <laughs> <laughs> They are very good space beans with yeah. a single a single bone. <laughs> <laughs> Ew, did, didn't they like release something about like what is actually inside oh, the that suits? Was, that was Fall Guys, wasn't it? That was Fall or was Guys. It was that Fall Guys? Like, yeah, yeah fall, fall Guys. They were like, oh, with a skeleton of a Fall Guy, and it was just absolutely beans. horrific. Uh, oh my god! They're like canonically seven and a half feet tall. Oh <laughs> my god! <laughs> nah, nah. Makes you feel weird, doesn't it? <laughs> Uh, Among Us is such a good example because that's just like circumstance of world events. Mm. Like, yeah. I, yeah. Oh, yeah. So, like, you can't even control, like, they had no control over that. That just happened for them out yeah. of nowhere. It wasn't like, oh, yeah, that, like, we, d- we did this directly because yep. this would happen. It was like, oh, no, this happened directly to us. Yes. And the, the game wow. itself was great. This is oh, the it, thing we're talking yeah. about discoverability. Among Us was sat there for years, as good as it was when people discovered it at the point where people needed it. But yeah. if we didn't have a global pandemic, would Among Us have ever took off in the way that it did? Right. That's a really hard question to answer, I think. Indeed. It's like um, Fear and Hunger, the recent like wave of Fear and Hunger, like people playing that game, which is like, have you guys heard of that? I haven't even heard it. I don't this know is wild. I haven't. So like there's, I feel like a couple of YouTubers found it and made video essays about it. And now I see it on YouTube all the time people analyzing it the law behind it um it's just completely utterly popped off a couple of years after this single dev released it i think they were actually working on like the follow-up as well when like everyone started popping off about this game like i've never played it but i've watched i know a lot about it just from from the the amount of youtubers talking about this game and how brutal it is and i think that was appeal as well like people could play it on youtube and stream it and be like have their ass kicked by this fucking game so yeah that's another one that like for years and then youtubers like an own like a community of essayists and youtube like let's players found the game and just boot like absolutely rocketed into like the stratosphere with how its popularity and now everyone's fucking playing it but that's the thing if you don't know of it or not in these spaces you would have no clue that this was even a game and that it had a follow-up which was just successful like it popped off at just the right time for this dev because they released the the follow-up and then everyone went bonkers for that as well like mad absolutely crazy I haven't even heard of that. And that's yeah. the worrying thing, right? Like how many incredible games are out there that like we've stories. just never heard of? Yeah. 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 How many people release a great game and it just never, it never has an Among Us moment. Like, oh, it, God. you know, it's just wild, isn't it? It's absolutely wild. So 
one last question then. How do we think success impacts our perception of what an indie game is? Which was kind of the original question that from the backbone of this episode, right? Like success is such a nebulous thing. And and I've yeah. played a lot of games that aren't traditionally successful, but are so important to me and invite games I would never have heard of if they hadn't achieved mainstream success. What does that mean? <laughs> I think it's interesting because like success and ambition are two different things. Like you can be ambitious and reach your goals, but not deem quote unquote like be a successful indie game or indie dev and i think maybe this yeah this idea of success we've been talking about in like traditional critical or personal like ways is like however that debt that whatever that dev's ambitions are if it's like just to have enough money to like sustain or if they do get like a, a netflix deal wild yeah. like Right. Take wild. anything that comes your way as well. Like oh, this idea about like selling out as well is wild to me. Like I just don't yeah. understand that mindset, especially like if you're someone who hasn't had, who hasn't been creating things as part of their like living. <laughs> like yeah. I don't know. Yeah. I just think there's different ways about going about it. Like the whole like epic exclusivity as well with Ooblets. Like that game is the game it is today is because they took that deal and everyone was like, you selling out, you selling out. What was it? They People kept calling the games that were going epic exclusive, something really mean. I can't remember it, but um, oh, that yeah. That whole just, thing was so pathetic. It was oh, wild. <laughs> it was like, oh my God, these are two people who got an offer. And yeah. of course you would take it yeah, because of course fucking- you take it dancing creature wholesome farming sim like of course you would it's yeah. not going to reach everyone if the creator yeah. of the biggest game in the world turns up at your door with a dump truck full of money and you're gonna be like says, yes please you can pay your right? mortgage for the next two years and not have to worry and work in your dream project like and then they were getting shit and Ooblets, yeah. how could you ever look at Ooblets and be like oh I'm, i think i'm going to commit a crime on the internet over this like right what oh. the hell like don't do that like Think about it, people. These are human beings and yeah. they're just trying to make nice things. Like I am yeah. trying my hardest at the moment to cover Ooblet's stories at work so that that whole business is not the only thing that comes up when you search Ooblet's on major gaming nice. sites. I fucking I love Ooblet's. Yeah, it's a great game. It is, a, it is a lovely game. God, we didn't even go into it. Maybe it's probably the best that we didn't even go into things like Epic Game Store exclusivity because we were yeah. playing it all night. But yeah, no, I'm fully on team dump truck full of money to do what you love. Like everyone's compromised by capitalism. So, you know. Yeah, I, well, that's and that's unfortunately probably the 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 bottom line of this conversation, right? Is Well, indeed. Yeah, to, to do what we would like to do worry-free is true success. Um, mm -hmm. But, you know, if you make a bit of money doing it, it's also not a problem. <laughs> You're not yeah. going to turn your nose up at it. Really good summary, I think. I'd like mm -hmm. to end this sort of like loose conversation. I've enjoyed this. Thank you both. Uh, oh, some you. very insightful yeah, points good. as always from the two of you. I'd like to just put out a little call to action for any indie, indie developers who are listening. If you'd like to get in touch, if you'd like to let us know your experience, if you'd like to just offer any insights yeah. into this, please mm -hmm. do get in touch. Contact at IndieVenturePodcast.co.uk. Uh, we read all our emails. Yeah, get in touch. And uh, just to send an email and be like, no, <laughs> it's not like that. <laughs> I would love that. Just the one I would love that too, yeah. Definitely. We only we only have the perspective of it from within the industry, but from, you know, a non-dev perspective. So obviously yeah, our absolutely. understanding yeah. is limited by what we're able to see from the vantage point of critics. And yeah, it'd be fantastic mm. to get some some dev voices into the conversation on this. But yeah. also, if we're wrong, I'm very sensitive. Please don't send mean emails or tweets. Thank you. 
I'm very fragile human being. You've said that so often. I mean, I am too. But uh... <laughs> never, never spoken to an indie dev who was not a lovely person, and I'm not just saying that because we've just shared an email address that I have to respond to. On the podcast. <laughs> I really mean it. I'll say this: if if anyone wants to be mean to me, uh, listen, I'll I'll do the TikTok Freddie Fazbear meme. Or. Horror, 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 horror. See, how can you be mean to me? You look like you've never. Why? Why, why do you look so horrified? Horrified face. You because must know that meme on TikTok. No, that the, the FNAF <laughs> meme I know is the one where they do the like the robot moves in time with the. Have you not seen the, the Freddy Fazbear meme? No, no, babes. Oh, and I'm right, on TikTok twenty four seven, so it's just you. You've just <laughs> seen it. Bell. You're fueling the meme. Me sleep deprived you watch in the corner. Twenty times a day, fifty times a day, <laughs> watching that FNAF meme, Freddy Fazbear meme. Uh, should we move on to section two? Yeah. <laughs> uh, cut out me doing the Freddy Fazbear. I feel like I had a disassociative episode at the end there. See, I didn't. I would have joined in, but I didn't know what you were talking about. <laughs> I would have been on the Freddy Fazbear bandwagon. I'm Google. Um, I'm going on TikTok right now. This is what I was referring to. It's not oh, even funny. Oh, thank Christ! But... Okay, no, no, I want to see it. Down with the kids. Down with the sickness. It's more of a sickness than down with the kids. I think. Yeah. <laughs> Oh dear. It's not even funny. It's just it comes up on my FYP all the time. I want to see <laughs> Rebecca's face. <laughs> I, 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 I think I kind of get it. <laughs> oh, oh. <laughs> right. So I would have joined in, Soz Babes. Sorry, don't worry about it. Hi, listener. I'm going to cut into section two here because you know how earlier I said that sometimes Rachel will just mention a game that looks incredible <laughs> and you've never even heard of it. She just did it there based on an art print that I showed for a second. It's called Flock by Hollow Ponds and Richard Hogg. Yeah. It's coming soon. I've, what? What? How? Where? What? How did I miss this? A multiplayer co-op game about the joy of flight. Do you know why? Because it was in one of the events, and they just—it was just a trailer in like a long line of like two-hour event. That's why. Oh right, okay. That's what we're talking about. There's so well, many yeah. games, and like you come out of an event, and you're like, oh, I only remember Alan Wake two, and you're like, oh, there was like five other things that you missed. This is one of them. But it's... I wrote up a news story about this, so which is why I remember it. I was like, right. I have the news story for this one. And That's also I really liked I Am Dead. That's the, the oh, one where yes. the guys yeah, yeah. I like that game. Is Morris that the Lupton. Same developer? Yes, that is uh, <laughs> I or I love Morris. Um he was on an indie indie character pub crawl. Yeah, uh, you said that you would share a delicious pint of ale with him, I think. Oh, bless him. And oh. his dog Sparky as well. Uh, yeah, Hollow Ponds. It was them. So this section, we're going to quickly run through some indie games that we've been playing that we think you should play. I mean, obviously, we have to start with you, Rachel. Uh, I mean, the font of indie knowledge at the moment. You've been playing so much. Oh, what yeah. What have you been playing? Please tell us about it. I have been playing Salt Sea Chronicles. I finished it a couple oh. of days ago. It's by Daigut Fabrique, who did Mutazion, which I played. I thought it was really good. 
But I quite like games that have weird communities, or you're going around with a weird group of people exploring different communities, uh, like mm. Kentucky Route Zero or a bunch of other other games. <laughs> but yeah, Salt Sea Chronicles is very much in that vein. You play as a group of characters on a sailboat who leave their home island and are traveling to different like different islands in the, this archipelago. It's kind of post-apocalyptic in that it's kind of like i'm not sure how long it is after like current day but like they refer to like our time like as in like a while ago so i'm guessing it's like 100 years it's kind of post-capitalist post-individualistic society where there's no money so you trade instead and all these different communities work and in different ways and you visit these different islands looking for your lost captain who mysteriously disappeared and yeah, it's just, it's very much a visual novel. There's lots of reading. It's kind of choose your own adventure in terms of like what island you go to will like decide which other island you go to and like a string of different events. It's just really great. It has a great cast of characters. Um, the the communities themselves are so interesting as well. That there's like this one island that's just run by cats. Like there's just like a bunch of cats on the island. Yes, in. and the whole <laughs> like, the, and the amount of detail that's gone into like thinking up these how this community would run and like what is it about the island that like kind of spurred on this specific like activity and attitude and so the one with this cat island is just someone just really liked cats and there's now just a bunch of cats that are just bred and now on this island and there's a woman who on your boat is like part like that's her home island and even the language she uses you know where she's from so she'll call people like pet names like kitten and she'll she'll like say like oh that's like a she, she described the situation as like a like a ball of yarn. You're like, oh, it's like all this uh. cat cat knowledge, <laughs> cat puns going on. Honestly, that character, she's like an old lady who loves scuba diving and she's amazing. Yeah, if you're into nautical stories, hello, Rebecca. You will definitely love this as well. There's also quite a spiritual side for it, side to it, in oh. terms of like, it's like a hundred years. So there's this ability that people can do called um dream sailing where it's kind of part meditation part kind of i i don't like transcendentalism where you sit down with yourself you go into a state and then you can see visions and you can see maybe parts of the future uh and your interpretation of it is like down to you as an individual and what how you take meaning from stuff but also this game has some very melancholy moments. There's an island compl- like society completely dedicated to people who have lost people in their lives. And you come to the island and you can stay there as long as you want. And the idea is that you just get through this process of losing someone very close to you. Oh and gosh. these islanders oh. are called um, guides and they essentially like help you through that trauma process and... And wow. it's just really interesting. You learn with how these the archipelago deals with murderers. You know how the, this archipelago deals with like, like other interesting corners of societies. Like, okay, but if you like, how do artists work? Like, is there is there a future in which like artists like we can we talk about <laughs> um, uh. where they can like make a living and who buys art in this post apocalyptic world? There's this there's this island that's like a huge ferry um cruise ship turned upside down 
and you explore all the different like aspects of this like upside down um cruise ship and the people who live on there now and like what their deal is um it's great it's uh it's both parts joyful and melancholy it's got a great art style the character designs are interesting it's very diverse lots of queer characters lots of just like yeah it's it's really great uh I think it's probably going to be in my top 10, maybe not top five. We'll see. But top 10 games Damn, of the year. Okay. It's just so my shit. It's unbelievable. Uh, yeah. So that's Seasalt Chronicles. Uh, yeah. It's great. I love it. Uh, I was really surprised by it. I thought mm. it wouldn't be much. I don't know why. I, there's a lot of good in- indies this year. So maybe I thought that. Oh, I don't know. But actually, nah, it was really great. It's very good. Well, Steam has logged me out, but as soon as I get logged back in, that's going on my wish list. Yeah. Yes. Well, so good. Guess what I did during that conversation. I mean, oh. that sounds felt a bit emotional. You're talking about that that island of of loss and people guiding. Yeah. Yeah. It's such a right. It's meaningful concept. Yeah, mm-hmm. there are a lot of like. It's I I was surprised at how like there are like sad moments in it and i was surprised given the art style is very like colorful the characters are very cartoonish um lots of block colors so yeah when those moments came up i was like okay okay we're doing this fine we're doing this like i'm in my feels yeah. now oh uh, yeah and such such amazing details as well of like each of these communities and how they i think there's like 12 overall and just the thinking and planning behind each one is like God, I want to live. I would live on any in any of these places in any like any of like in this um in the future. I would be happy living anywhere yeah. for sure. So yeah. Oh wow! Incredible recommendation. I genuinely can't wait to play that. I, I, I think, know, right? <laughs> so, you know what? I, I listen listen back to an old episode where you were describing Oberdin, uh, like in hindsight after playing it. Oh yeah. And I was just like, she's she's good at. Uh, Getting to the bottom of why games are special. She should write for a living, I think. Uh, <laughs> but you know what? This podcast, the format of the podcast, it makes you have to talk about a game quickly in a short amount of time, but in a way that you're like, I'm like selling you the game. Like I want you to play it. And I yeah. want listeners to play it. So it's kind of like a learned skill that I think all of us share from starting the podcast was like, okay, yep. we need to get through why this game is good in a, in a very short amount of time. <laughs> Otherwise, very easily, Sometimes. this podcast would be six hours long yes. every every so fortnight. Easily. Oh. <laughs> Some of you sickles would love that, wouldn't you? <laughs> Becca, I think I know what you're going to talk about, and I'm really excited. So what have you been playing? I think you probably do know. So um, yeah, I was saying earlier that I've got so many games on the go that realistically I need to not start anymore if I want to finish any of them by the end of the year. So I started playing Slay the Princess because that's what I do, is I do things that are bad for me because of like an impulsive desire to do something that looks just too good to miss.
So yeah, I started playing Slay the Princess a few days ago. I've only managed to get sort of one sitting with it at the moment just because of life stuff, but I am really mm. poised, really poised to get back into it. Um, so the, the sort of high concept for it that I've written down, um, and I always do these high concepts and then I get really annoyed because I'm like, you should be able to describe a game on its own merits um, and mm. not lean on comparisons with other things. But also I do find high concepts quite helpful, um, especially because I was surprised by how much this game kind of reminds me of the Stanley Parable. Um, it's Ooh, got, yeah. I see that. Yeah, I see yes, that. Yeah. It's got like Stanley Parable and quite a bit of Hellblade in there as well, um, as well as the more obvious comparisons like Doki Doki Literature Club. And also, I think, you know, it's got kind of the monster prom thing going on, obviously. Um, <laughs> it does. It does. Yes. There's, an e there's an evil yes. princess you're romancing. That's my girl Miri from Monster Prom. And that's uh, <laughs> that's the princess of Slay the Princess. So, yeah, the um, Slay the Princess is a. Is a visual novel slash dating sim kind of i'd argue about the dating sim classification because there's only one romanceable character but um it's like the art style is this sort of gorgeous black and white like pen and ink almost edward gory-esque um Ooh. like art style um and yeah the concept is you are a knight maybe initially you kind of have no memories at the start you're going to this cabin where a princess is being held prisoner um, and you've, you're being told there's a voice in your head, there's the voice of the narrator saying, you have to slay this princess to save the world. And she is going to lie to you and manipulate you. She'll say anything to avoid that her fate is to be slain by you to save the world. Um, and it is such a, I mean, that already sounds quite weird, right? But it's, it's not <laughs> just kind of like... You, you look at that and you think, oh, it's going to be like a kind of quirky, weird, like... But no, within... Within a few minutes, you'll get a sense of just how weird it is. It is about time loops and it is about repeating the same section of the game over and over and over again and noticing very subtle differences that then snowball into massive differences. And you learn, oddly, so far in my playthrough, I think I'm a couple of hours in, I feel like I've learned more about myself and the sort of Ooh. overarching world more than the princess of the title who is still quite mysterious to me. I'm not sure who she is yet and what her deal is, but I'm starting to suspect some things about my character who mm. doesn't seem to know who he is. It is, it is odd. And it is, I, I'll be honest, it's, I came into this game knowing a little bit about it. It is one that I picked up just before um, it really took off and got very big on like social media and yeah and it did it probably popped off it really yeah. did in the last sort of week or so and it's really really nice to see that for uh, Black Tabby Games they've done some great stuff they've clearly worked very very hard and it's paid off to tie mm. into the main theme of this episode it's great to see it is sort of one of those games that like if I didn't know a little bit about it it would give me like a weird anxiety not because of the horror themes but because of the fact that like the the time the looping time it makes it hard to know I, I can imagine if you didn't sort of know a bit about the game you'd be like do I does this game just end when I'm you know when I'm tired of repeating loops is there uh, an ending yeah you know am I working towards something and I think I don't know whether <sighs> I'm tempted to say I got lucky in my first run but I actually think it's more structured than it seems I think that interesting the fact that I found a key piece of information to make me want to keep doing more loops through the story in the first run probably was not as coincidental and massively fortunate as it felt to me at the time. Yeah. 
if that makes sense. It's there, are, yeah. there have been a few little things have come in that have made me think, ah, actually, this is this is being more tightly controlled while still making me feel like I have a lot of freedom to make the choices that I want to make and to explore the avenues that I want to explore. Um, Interesting. So I don't know where this game is going, but it is it is very creepy and very gory, and there is a beautiful doe-eyed princess who has killed me multiple times, but also doesn't <laughs> seem like necessarily the worst person in the story. Um, Ooh. <laughs> mm, yes. Um, and yeah, basically, I mean, th- to be honest, the reason that I wanted to play this game more than anything was just that I am on a real kick for, like slightly evil princess romances and so this game just came out at the perfect moment in time for me and i was like obviously i have to play this now that is very specific mate what what else have you been doing that has that same thing (laughs) okay it's like i can say the monster prom example because that's yeah a a pretty straightforward example there is another example that's a bit of a spoiler for something that i don't want to spoil there's another example that's entirely conjecture on my part about the background of a character in an ongoing game so yeah oh my god yeah so this is just me PQ. all these threads this is just me fan theorizing <laughs> like crazy um but you know i think i'm maybe just at a point in my life where i'm getting back into disney i'm getting back into barbie but i'm too like weird from all these years of horror to just love them normally so i have to be like i what love if, that what if the princess was evil though <laughs> but what if she was a badass and evil what if, and what if she was evil and there was like a you know like a goth guy who was just like oh i don't know we'll hang out i guess you know that's, <laughs> that's the entire high level concept <laughs> of just everything i'm into at the moment is what if evil princess and goth dude of dubious ge- morality that's my whole thing love that i would <laughs> argue that when a game makes you start to theorize and make connections to other games i know it's going to be good that's something I've learned over the course of doing this podcast with you, is that when you start to get excited and it extends out to other things you like and you make connections, it's like, yep, Slay the Princess like a network. Is, yep. <laughs> yeah. A Rebecca network. Yeah, I just, I, I've always been like this. It's all I can say is I've always been like, just writing my little theories down with the little, you know, the red strings going between them. And this exists entirely in my own head. It's a good job that I've got a fairly strong grasp on reality in the actual fact of things because my relationship with media is that anything could be a secret tie into anything and you've got to keep your eyes on it all <laughs> love the way no. your brain works that's amazing oh thank you <laughs> nice to be appreciated so the princess so Liam. yes it's me it's my time now uh i have been playing a game called spin rhythm xd by super spin digital oh shit that has just come out on nintendo switch and has just celebrated its 1.0 launch on steam it's been in early access since uh, about late 2019 So, Spin Rhythm XD, I think this is the best rhythm game ever made. Uh, I genuinely think that with no hyperbole, and I love rhythm games. I'm the kind of loser who bought Guitar Hero Live. You remember that one? No. Where it had the live action visuals. (laughs) You don't remember Guitar Hero Live? No, I'm I'm, I'm... 
Oh, that I mean, a, that I was, was a Guitar really Hero 3, babe. Yeah, oh, uh, who Guitar wasn't? I mean, I think everyone was a Guitar Hero 3, babe. But Guitar Hero Live was unhinged. It was so good. I bloody love it so much. Maybe the there's, a, there's a Green Day one. There I knew there was a Green Day one. one. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> of course, of course <laughs> Why have Green Day so, come up so much in this podcast? I know, right? <laughs> More, I haven't heard of Green Day in years, and now I've mentioned them multiple times. <laughs> Spin Rhythm XD is a bit hard to explain, so you're going to have to bear with me, but I would recommend that you watch a YouTube video and it should make more sense. This is a rhythm game played in a slightly traditional sense in that you have a note lane that goes from the top of the screen to the bottom, a bit like Guitar Hero, and on that lane you get two coloured blocks that come down in patterns. The difference is that the method of hitting those blocks is by rotating a segmented dial that sits at the bottom of the screen. This dial has different segments of the two colors that the blocks correspond to. And you twist your analog stick to turn the dial and line up the colors with the matching colors that fall down from the top. On harder difficulties, it throws in a couple of different things. You can spin to get more points on certain things, tap a button in time to the beat. And I just can't tell you how incredible it feels to play this game. The sense of control you have, the sense of creating music feels as good as holding a plastic guitar and i think that's the magic of the game right there is that this is a game where all the soundtrack is edm music it's big boisterous electronic tracks that sort of don't really sound like they're made using traditional musical instruments so by abstracting the instrument itself to this otherworldly concept that matches the controller you play it with tricks your brain into thinking that you're creating this music using this bizarre object of sticks and buttons in your hands and i think that's why it works is it just feels fucking wonderful to play and i've been following the development of this for a number of years now um the developers very kindly sent me a code to play this on switch playing this on a switch oled it looks phenomenal it sounds brilliant coming out of those speakers it runs like an absolute dream it's had a bunch of content added to it through the course of its early access uh, period since i last played it and it could not be better to be honest and yeah i found some songs through this game over the years that have become like some of my favorite songs of all time i listen to them at the gym i listen to them when i'm you know pottering around the house and it just always reminds me of the act of playing those songs in the same way that Guitar Hero 3 did. You know, I can't listen to Barracuda or um, <laughs> that Stroke song, which name is eluding me, without thinking about tapping away on that plastic uh, plastic guitar in my parents' living room, Christmas 2008. Aww. And yeah, Spin Rhythm has exactly the same effect on me. No one is covering this. We were talking before I about success. That. This has an overwhelmingly positive rating on Steam. It has since it came out. In 2019, it's got a really, really devoted fan community that make custom songs on PC as well. Oh my god! Oh wow! No please one is talking this. about this. Honestly, please pick this up if you like rhythm games. If you like inventive rhythm games that take a swing. If you played Elite Beat Agents on the Nintendo DS. Oh in, my god! Yes. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> love this. I mean, that is like one of the best rhythm games ever made. You're missing out by not playing Spin Rhythm XD. Honestly, it is an absolute masterclass 
in rhythm game design. They could not have made a better game. And oh it's, it's there. You can go play it right now if you want. Go do it. Go on, treat yourself. There's a demo. There's a demo. Is there, is you there a demo as well? Go, yeah. You can literally go check out the demo and just... Oh, there you go. Okay, Go absolutely. check out the demo. Yes. It will. It looks it so fluid. It looks so good. Yes. Fluid like is the, the bit, way of saying The bit it. with the... Um, you just hold, I guess, and you're holding something down and then it goes, you're like moving the... Anyway, I'm yeah, making a lot of hand gestures. To, Never mind. <laughs> no, it's, sometimes I, you have to hold yeah. into the... Uh, <laughs> you have to hold the button down and then like wind it round. Yes. And yeah, it's, it's all about fluidity. It's all about movement. And it's, it, like I say, it just matches this type of music. This sort of, you know, you listen to an EDM song and you don't think, oh, there's a guitar. You, you know, it's all computer. It's all synthesized and... And it just really abstracts that out. And yeah. Oh, incredible game. One of my favourites. Nice. Oh, also, there's easy, normal, hard, expert and brutal. So for those who <laughs> like playing games on easy, even rhythm games, sometimes you, yeah. people don't have much rhythm and that's okay. There's an easy mode. <laughs> yeah, it's really, really, really good for that. Did you play on brutal? Have you played on brutal yet? I, I what, got what, so into it. What difficulty it. did you play on? I got so into it in 2019, I was playing it on hard. I could never get brutal. And on oh. hard, I was really struggling. It, It's because what's in the harder levels, what's really interesting about it is it starts to play with the idea of moving the wheel in such a way that you connect different colours while spinning it. So you almost need oh, to... Oh, okay. Yeah. Like sliding it, it, with a guitar with guitar hero. Yeah, literally like that. Oh. Yeah. It, it sort of gets a little bit in common with things like Beat Saber, where it becomes about movement as much as oh. it is about rhythm. Yeah, it's absolutely fantastic. Enter the rhythm dimension. Anything that's like eliciting comparisons to Beat Saber, but I don't need to worry about VR. Amazing. Already. Yeah, yeah. It, it's not as nauseating as Beat Saber can be. So Nice. <laughs> oh my God, you're in the Accolades trailer. I was looking Pardon? for you. Nice. You are in the Accolades trailer for Spin um, Rhythm. Oh, sweet. I looked, I was looking, I was like, yeah, seven out of ten oh. games. Oh, yes, of course. I, I do know about this. They did this years ago. Yeah, it's so Woo! kind of them. It's always yeah! funny when people try and quote something I said as part of seven out of ten because it's a stupid name for a YouTube channel. They must think to themselves, well, we don't want to make it look like we were given a seven out of ten. <laughs> so they always like, they either combine it so it looks like seven out often. So it's like one word. Oh, or they put yeah. games at the end and like, good on them. Yeah. Put games but it's your end, name as well. Like sometimes in Accolades trailers, they just put the um, outlet, but you, which is... Uh, oh my dead. God. God bless them. Yeah, and you're on the Steam page, obviously. But I just want to see if you were in the trailer. Am I on the Steam page? I don't know if I was on the Steam page. Yes, girl! With the with your RPS article. Oh, of course. Yes. Oh, that's nice of them. I don't know why I decided to be away every weekend, start a new job and launch a new podcast in the same <laughs> month. I just feel like, you know, when you do too much. Yes. Yes. Like, yeah. That is the definition of too much. Absolutely. We're flying to Copenhagen on Friday. Yoli took me to Copenhagen. As a surprise, by the way, oh. for anniversary. Oh. That's where she took me. Oh, brilliant. So cute. I did check. We have one Danish listener and I, I tried to hunt them down. Oh I couldn't my God. find you them. Like, is it you? You're listening is it right you? now. I was, <laughs> <laughs> was walking along going, Goofy? Do you have like, any opinions on Goofy? Anyone? Anyone? <laughs> What's Goofy in Danish? I'm doing goof, it. Goof, goofing? I don't know. <laughs> goofy in Danish. It's bloody goofing around, isn't it? Oh no, if that one Danish listener is listening though. No, but I want the character. Fletmul. Fletmul. That's Goofy. But um, I want the character name. It could just be Goofy. That feels like 
It sounds right. No, that is Goofy's Danish name. Is it? Flet. It's F-E-D-T-M-U-L-E. This is a beautiful like website. A uh, list of Disney characters' names in various languages. Oh, I what? see it! Okay. Goofy in French is Dingo. <laughs> I'm like not that. having... I'm not... What? Dingo? Oh, in Italian, he's Pippo. Oh, Pippo. yeah, I just got to that. That is very cute. Pippo. I like Pippo. Pippo's good. I just got to Portuguese. Wait, where? Oh, my What's God. Portuguese? I'm scrolling. It's not, it's not so much the fact that Goofy is called <laughs> pa- Potato in Portuguese. Potato. It's that yeah. two lines above him, Gilbert, brackets, Goofy's genius nephew, Gilberto in Portuguese. And that has <laughs> raised so many more questions for me. That's that has he raised. has a nephew? <laughs> a genius nephew. Oh, pardon me. Sorry. Yes, genius nep- nephew. Maybe it's on the mother's side. Does Goofy have a brother? <laughs> Does Goofy Does Goofy have a single Does brother? Goofy. Does Goofy have siblings? <laughs> what? Goofy may have a dead brother? Oh, no, not again. Or sister? Oh, no. <laughs> I can't, guys. Goofy's I can't. Younger... Look, oh, I don't. That hurt my lungs. <laughs> Look, I can't. There's too, there's too much baggage with this man, with this dog. Oh my god. <laughs> dog man. Goofy. Goofy is his younger brother. Oh. Goofy and Goofy. Wait, though. Apparently, his twin brother is called Gaffy. Goofy, Gaffy, and Goofy. No, I cannot. Wait, there's a ty- There's like a family tree here. Oh my god. Okay. What the? Oh, fuck I laughed is so this? hard there. I've hurt my lungs. <laughs> there's a whole thread. You guys, you guys. There's a whole okay. fucking. Please, please. Wait, put it hold in. on. <laughs> put it in Discord. There, there. It's like Goofy's family tree, but like a board of people talking about it, and someone's put like Generation One at Generation Two. Gilbert, Gilbert. Max. Oh, I oh love, I love okay, finding Joe stuff like this. Okay, Joe Dog, Dog. Joe Dog. Oh my God. <laughs> oh, I love, this is, this is what the internet is for. This just is. Getting it really way is. too into Generation 4, Grandma Goofy, since she is called Grandma Goofy and not Grandma Dog. I put her as the wife of Ebenezer Goofy. I, I love, <laughs> overwrite that. Your attention to detail inspires me. Joe Dog, Gaffy Dog, Dippy Dog. Is this trying to imply Dog. that Goofy's last name is... Dog. I think his mother's maiden name was Dog. <laughs> guys. It's one of the most unhinged things like... you've ever said. Uh, it is, great. <laughs> it is, Rebecca. I literally can't. <laughs> <laughs> it's said with so much sincerity. I, I think that might be his like, mother's family maiden trees. Name. I love fictional family trees. I love real family trees. It was just such a great moment. Hyperfixations is a section of the podcast. <laughs> yeah, yeah, there it is. That's point. mine. Sorry. Thanks for listening. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Tell me that's Rebecca, going in, please. Tell me that's going in. Of course in. it's all going in. I, I'm physically hurt, right? Years <laughs> of smoking made that painful for me to react to that. Yeah, and well, I'm not going to be in pain. I, I've I've bled for this podcast now. Hey, hey, I had a flare-up of like a recurring chest infection this week, so I'm also here just wheezing it out. Oh like, <laughs> it was worth it, though. For, for Goofy. Oh, absolutely. God. For Mrs. Goofy. dog. It was worth it. God damn it. Yeah, we do need a t-shirt that just says Goofy's mother's maiden name on it. It's just so funny. It's our first ever piece of merch. It's just oh, that yeah. quote. It's just immediately getting us like nailed to the wall by Disney as well. I'm pretty sure you can't put Goofy. Bring it on, Mouse. Fight the yeah. IRL. Mr. Okay. Michael Mouse. Michael Mouse. <laughs> Mr. Michael Mouse. <laughs> yes, Rebecca. Oh, come on, Rebecca. Please tell us. Okay, tell us your I'm sorry, fixation. I'm sorry. I'm, I want to. <laughs> I want to. Want to try. 
My face is so hot. I'm so flushed. I'm sweating so bad. Oh, right. This is great. This is just... Oh, <laughs> oh right. Right. Hyperfixations. Oh, I'm, sneezing. I'm so sorry. sorry. Can we, can I've just become suddenly unwell. <laughs> Geeky. You should shame me for sneezing or me for trying to talk. No, not you. Never you. Definitely never you. Always, always um, me. What if I also need to sneeze? That's right. I think I might be over it. <laughs> okay. I hyperfixate over things for a long, long time. And so things... <laughs> Sorry, I know you've beat yourself really considerately, but I just feel really bad for you. <laughs> I was I'm, totally... a, I'm allergic to really good recommendations. Oh, God. Oh, no. It's a pre It's a pre-rex sneeze. <laughs> it's a little pre-rex sneeze. little cheeky know. pre-rex sneeze. I don't know. Well, maybe, maybe you want to hear the recommendation and then decide whether it's worth sneezing over. Oh, dear. Um, okay. Go on. No, it's, I, I stand by it, but basically, yeah. It's, um, yeah. It, is, it is part of my tendency to I fixate for years at a time mm-hmm. and so yep. a thing will come back up and it's like actually a really old hyperfixation that i just remembered exists and i'm like way back into it um, awakened from the amber oh that is so good because what i actually want to talk about is sherlock holmes the awakened oh, there the it is that's just well not just <laughs> come out. it came out in april it came out in april and i was a kickstarter backer on it so obviously i was like very keen to play it but i was still playing sherlock holmes chapter one at the time so i only started playing it fairly recently um, but it is a remake of one of my favourite, slightly post-Golden Age point-and-click adventure games. Um, I mm-hmm. think the original was 2007, and then it got a remaster in 2009, and then the whole uh, the whole thing kind of lay dormant. Well, it didn't lay dormant because they made loads of other Sherlock Holmes games in the meantime at Frogwares. But then, yeah, they decided to do um, this remake uh, that came out earlier this year, and it's honestly... I am, even though I knew I was going to like it because I like Frogwares and I like this story, I am mm-hmm. really surprised by how into it I am. Yay! Um, it's it's okay. surprisingly, I don't want to say surprisingly good, what surprised me about it and the thing that I should probably focus on for this hyperfixation particularly is that Frogwares have always had a very loose relationship with canon in the Sherlock Holmes games. It's always been really clear that the games are all kind of canon to each other, but they're not too worried about things like timeline. They'll sort of, they'll put it in whatever year they want to set the story in, but they'll refer back to older games as if they happened in the past for the characters, even if like timeline wise, it's the future. So they've always been like, kind of whatever about canon. Um, And then they tried to give the series like a kind of a soft reboot in The Devil's Daughter, which came out in 2016. And, but then they had a lot of legal troubles with their publisher and they ended up going to like independent self-publishing, which probably makes it a worthwhile thing to talk about on this podcast anyway. But the um, mm. this all kind of culminated in taking a long break between 2016 and 2021 when they brought out Sherlock Holmes Chapter 1. Um, and Sherlock Holmes Chapter 1 is a prequel, so it, it's a more definite kind of reboot for the whole series. Um, and it introduces like this sort of young Sherlock Holmes, who's like quite a bit different, which again is because of like legal things Ooh. with the Conan Doyle estate. Um, mm-hmm. And so they kind of started from the ground up with this kind of new version of the character who they've now taken into The Awakens and I think into future projects that they're planning on doing with the franchise. But what I love is that they've taken that kind of like young and vulnerable and a little bit more emotional Sherlock Holmes and threaded that backstory back through the story that they wrote in The Awakened to create just some really interesting moments um, with things like referring back to as a character in Sherlock Holmes chapter one called John, who is not John Watson. 
who is a different John, who is like his childhood friend. Um, and there are a lot of moments in The Awakened because of how it's talking about kind of like Lovecraftian themes where he mm. will kind of think about his original friend, John, and be thinking about like the advice he would have given or what he would do if he were here in the situation. And it's honestly, I didn't expect to be like a little bit, like a little bit of a misty eye over the fact that you like got so attached to this original character that they stuck into Sherlock Holmes, like canon in a way that was extremely risky and usually doesn't work even in older Frogwares joints. Like the devil's daughter, that kid was the most annoying kid in a video game ever. I was so glad (laughs) that they just wrote her out of continuity when they rebooted it. Like, you know, they managed to build this this relationship that is so weird and kind of almost meaningless in terms of the the wider canon of Sherlock Holmes. You can introduce it and not change anything. And yet there'll be just these moments where he's kind of like there talking to Watson and then he'll suddenly seg off and you'll see it's so good in the um in the subtitles on screen. Um his childhood friend John is spelled J-O-N. And he'll switch yeah. to which one he's talking to. And suddenly he's like talking to his like departed friend through Watson, which Watson doesn't realize. But you'll be there as the player, like, oh my God, like he's talking to his his friend. It's <laughs> so oh, sad. Wow. And like, I didn't expect to get that emotional over a remake of an objectively good but quite silly Sherlock Holmes Cthulhu mashup. But it's making me very excited for um for the, the sort of series going forward. I think they've already hinted that they're going to remake um, Nemesis next, which is my other favourite from their kind of like extremely cool golden age. And yeah, I'm just, I'm not only back in, I'm like, this might be Frogwares entering like a new era of really great interconnected games in a way that they haven't really been making them connected for like a couple of decades now. So I'm oh, excited cool. about the Adventures of Sherlock Holmes by Frogwares, the TLDR on that. <laughs> I I swear as you were talking, I thought it was like one of the Sherlock Holmes Frog Frogwares games, and then you described something else, and I thought it was another one, and then I actually looked it up, and it was a completely different one. There are so many. <laughs> there are like I literally 10, did the now. exact same thing, Richie. Did you? <laughs> yeah, I really I was did. Like, oh, okay. <laughs> okay. I've, I've- I feel like you've mentioned like a few on this yeah. podcast, the, the old podcast, and every time I'm like, oh, is this the one she mentioned before? I'm like, oh no, they they've done this. Again, this incredibly prolific developer making games from a war zone are just like right? putting out it's, these games uh, constantly. I mean, that's like, the reason they're, they're remaking a lot of their old ones is because it's less resource intensive when you're literally working oh, out of Kiev in huh. Ukraine. You know. Interesting. Okay. Oh my God. Yeah, I'm looking at that list now. Oh my God. There's so many. Yeah, it's a great series. And I just, like I say, the one thing I never expected was to be particularly emotionally invested in it. So I'm just very surprised that it's it's got me on that level yeah. now. Hell Honestly, yeah. Honestly, that isn't an element of it that I would have ever considered. So to know that that's True. in there and that for existing fans, like there is a reason to return to this remake because it folds in with the other stuff they've been doing. Like it's not just a straight up remake is mm-hmm. super, super interesting. Also, chapter one may be the best game they've ever done as well, just on its own merits. So even if you just play the rebooted series from chapter one onwards, it's so good. Do we, be honest with me, do we need to let you do a Frogwares episode? Do you just need to get... <laughs> I was kind of thinking... To get something out of your system? I mean... I want a Sherlock episode that Rebecca just like us going through oh, all the that. Sherlock what Holmes games. A lot of Frogwares as well. That, that I had actually already written 
um, not for this Stop. podcast, but just for my own amusement, a very lengthy sort of like overview of Frogwares games and how they all tie in together and like comprehensive overview of the timeline of the adventures of Sherlock Holmes. And this is what I do in my spare time. Yes. This I is would what love I'm that. Like. I would love okay, that. Me and Liam should play one of them. And then we can <laughs> use that as a jumping off point to talk about like the series as, as a oh, whole and like some yeah. of the other ones. Yeah. I would love that. That's such a good idea. You could recommend a different one to me and Rachel. Yeah. Because so I played, played Crime, Crimes and Punishments and that was like the, like, I fucking loved Crimes and Punishments. Obviously mm. Devil's Daughter. I thought it was all right, but I think not many people like it that much. But yeah, you could like recommend us one each. It's 1200 words, the document that I just already have. Oh my God. Oh, am I like, yes. Yeah, it's good. It's real good. I like it a lot. Love that. Good. Absolutely love that. Hyper fixation. I I like it when it's a long dormant one that you bring up as well. Yes. Rachel. (laughs) Me. (laughs) What's your hyper fixation, mate? So mine's relatively recent. Uh, to contrast with Rebecca's long dormant one that's come up. I've just been playing a fuck ton of indie games. I'm just trying to get through them before the end of the year. So nice. I've been playing another one called Mediterranean Inferno, which is this really Ooh. amazing horror visual novel. Looking at you, Rebecca, again. That were about these three um <laughs> about these three young men who were once like in the club scene of Milan and then the and then the pandemic happened and it's about them reconnecting um going to this like uh villa in like southern Italy uh catching up with each other but also there's kind of this like surrealist horror undertone of the trauma that they've carried from uh, the pandemic, but also other elements of their lives, them being young, incredibly uh, ostentatious gay men and like their li- the nightlife that they had and the relationships they had. And yeah, it's just, I'm really surprised. I ha- I've heard of this developer before, but I hadn't played their other game. It was called like the Milky, oh God, the Milky Way... Milky Way Prince, Prince no. the Vampire Star. I've already got it up yeah. on Steam. Yes, because, the Milky Way oh Prince, God, this looks Vampire amazing. Star. <laughs> yeah, so this, I've not played that one. And because I missed on that one, when this one came out, I was like, right, I'm going to play this game. Um, oh, yes. So the developer, I guys, but also the individual is called Lorenzo Rodelli. And yes, sorry. Yeah, so the game is very much about their experiences over the next couple of days as they spend... I, yeah, I think it's three days in southern Italy in this villa together. The This game looks ridiculous. The visual imagery is so evocative. It's so surreal. Like, the, the, there's kind of like these dream sequences that the three of them go on separately. Um, there's kind of, again, like a choose your own storyline kind of thing where you can pick one of them um, and you can see their experiences uh, called mirror. Like there are mirror these things called mirages throughout the game where they're kind of like, yeah, sequences in which a character will be difficult to explain. They'll be kind of like experiencing this surreal, almost imaginary perception of an aspect of their personality or an aspect of their trauma. And um, it's just really great. It's such a, like a vibrant but also very scary look at post-COVID trauma. They're like kind of different aspects of like 
what it was like to be like locked inside for num- numerous years, whether that's being like touch starved, whether that's being locked in with a family that you don't necessarily get along with, the oh, isolation wow. that comes with it. And I'm not, it's not a game that's ultimately like, like really sad. There are, there are, it's obviously a horror game, so it will tap into that, but it's also very wickedly funny. There are moments of complete like surrealism that I, I, I can't even begin to like, like go through the layers of like peel back those layers. Yeah, this game is sun-baked. It's so, oh, it's so good. And it's one of those games as well, which you have to play multiple times. So I've just been mm. playing different routes, getting to know different characters out of the three of them. Yeah, it's this is in my top five of the year, for sure. Oh, it's wow. so fucking okay. good. Yeah, I was. I th- it might change just because I'm playing it right now and I'm really into it. Um, but absolutely, yeah, this game is incredible. Um, and I think what I like about it as well is that it's very, it goes in depth on queer experiences as well. And that's very obvious. Like we are like, this is the story of three young gay men and it's unashamedly about that. It's about their intimate experiences, their experiences with sex, with drugs, with alcohol, with like, and I, I just think that's really great like i love seeing that and i and i like the fact that it's also horror and i like these characters are not very likable in some aspects but also very relatable in others yeah oh and it's all oh my god and it's all tied in with like italian roots and heritage there's lots of very evocative catholic imagery and also lots of like like imagery of like sex and scandalous and all mixed in with the religious aspects. It's like really cool. Like this game is like a concept album. I would love, like the music is so good as well. Like I'd love this to be like, yeah, some sort of, I'd love the the developer to like make a playlist of the, of the, Ooh. of like each individual character's like Spotify playlist. Cause I think that would just be so fucking cool. But yeah, I'm really into this game right now. It, yeah, Mediterranean Inferno, it's on Steam and other places. Yeah, uh, it's just completely, taken over my brain i think about it like all the time at the moment it's really great Ugh. wow this looks so good obviously it's going on my wish list like immediately yeah yeah same i can't believe how intricate and layered that sounds and it, it looks amazing as well the art style is so surreal and it's colorful very vibrant and weird and two interesting points one is that i am logged out of steam at the moment so this is a semi natural recommendation from steam more like this slay the princess hell yeah one thing and another thing i like this uh this positive review that's one of the top reviews lorenzo ridelli did not lie you can torture three bourgeois twinks in this game yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's really tickled me like uh, he, literally, he literally describes it as like if call me by your name was like a horror film I was, like yeah, that's, I mean, that, yeah that, is a, that alone is a good oh, those hook. two alone, yeah, that is a good and that positive review, so good. Oh, yeah, yeah, <laughs> so. I'm gonna have to buy that immediately. That looks oh, like... yeah. Um, if you are interested in playing this game, I think on Steam there's a trigger warning section, so definitely check that out. Just make sure that okay. there's obviously nothing in there. Mature content, it's in the description of Steam, so yeah, just check that out before you, before you play because it gets pretty heavy. Good, uh, incredible recommendation. Um, that's just what a year it's been, eh? Honestly, so, I cannot. I know I've said it before, but like, stop, stop making these incredible Jesus indie Christ. games, everyone. Jeez, yeah, give us a year <laughs> off. Is that all right? Can everyone stop being everyone so creative? Have a year and... off. No, I'm. 
I yeah. love it. It's so good. I just want a month, a week. Do you know what <laughs> I, I mean? That there's so I cannot. Oh, yeah. the, the, we could make this podcast every week. It could run mm-hmm. for two hours, and it could just be us talking about games we're playing. Yeah, and we'd never right. run out of things to talk about. Absolutely, like, absolutely. It's absolutely wild. <laughs> uh, I will, I will so, kind of like I'm also going to talk about a game, but it's very, very, very different vibes to the one you've just been talking about. I've been playing "You Will Die Here Tonight" by Spiral Bound Interactive. Now. Ooh. Nice. I I don't love this game. I'm going to say that straight off the bat. I don't think it's for me in many ways. And I thought it would be, and there's always a little bit of sadness to that, but I really want to talk about it because if there's one thing I do love, it's a game that takes a bold swing. And I do think you will die here tonight. It's some really interesting ideas, and I want to give it a shout out for that reason alone. Just because I didn't gel with it as much as I thought I would, Someone out there is probably going to absolutely love this. So this is a Resident Evil inspired top down horror adventure game where you explore a mansion full of zombies as an elite team of police officers and spooky things happen. You solve some puzzles. There's some weird stuff going on. It could not be more of a Resident Evil homage (laughs) if it literally, you know, had a character called Jill Valentine in it. Um, But what's really interesting about this game is that it's, although it's visually and location-wise very heavily inspired by the original Resident Evil, its gameplay is inspired by a Game Boy Color Resident Evil entry called Resident Evil Gaiden, where you play it as Leon on a boat, and it is quite often one of these, like, forgotten about Resident Evil games, where it was top-down, but combat was done in first person. So they've enhanced that idea by making the combat more like something like house of the dead where you're walking around this mansion uh from a top-down perspective and then when you see a zombie you pull out your gun it zooms in to a house of the dead style view the zombie lurches towards you and it becomes like a light gun game which is really exciting as a concept i find the combat to be a little bit lacking uh it's a little bit complicated the way that this game manages items can make it quite tricky to know how many bullets you have and sometimes when you go into this view enemies are already on top of you and it removes your gun when you get attacked it's it needs a little bit of tweaking i think in that way but there's an aspect of this game that is just not talked about in much of the marketing material and i think it's really easy to think that the combat is the fun twist whereas actually this game is kind of inspired by roguelikes in a way that i think is really really compelling you have six members of this police squad and when they go into the mansion they are all put to sleep by this weird supernatural light and then you choose who you play as out of these six sleeping characters each of them have completely different abilities and can interact with items and you might find let's say you might find an um an upgrade for your pistol as one character but another character is the only character that can use that and upgrade your gun but the only way you can select that character is if your current character dies so you are like in this really fun balance where you'll find items and you're almost like well i almost need to die I need to let my character die so I can choose another character to make all of my characters stronger because you share an inventory when you wake up. You get all the items that your last character had. The progress you've made is, isn't is reset. And 
it is such a fun idea for a Resident Evil style game where death is a certainty and mm, that is very you need cool. to balance death to progress. It has some more fun twists with death that honestly, I don't want to say. I think you should check this out if you're if you think that's interesting, go play Ooh. it, see what you think. Where this game might be lacking in terms of combat, uh, the way that the inventory is built up, and also the story is like fine. I think the dialogue is like it's okay, but honestly, Spiral Bound, you're onto something here. There's something really interesting about that death mechanic that I would love to see explored further. And I might not finish this, but I've played it for a few hours, and I think it is only about four or five hours long as well. Maybe I will see it to the end. I don't know, but for what I've played, I'm like, yeah. I had a good time with this and that mechanic made my brain like feel good. I was like, oh wow, yeah. A Resident Evil style game where death is a core mechanic. That is a really interesting idea. So yeah, been thinking about that a lot. That's really cool. That's um reminded me of a couple of things. One one was um the obscure games. I don't know if you ever played those. No. Um which had the the sort of large group character switching in a kind of horror um it's a sort of PS2 era horror, I think. Um, oh, I recognise these. I, I think I wrote a bit about it for RPS oh. at one point. So, um, <laughs> some, some very strange screenshots on Steam. Yeah, strange. One. Um, the other thing that it kind of reminded me of as well, because I haven't played that many, I was thinking of like Prey Moon Crash, which I think is one of those cases where like the DLC could have been a game of the year in itself in addition to being oh, a spin-off okay. of a great game. Um, which again has the kind of like roguelike looping. You need to manage who dies or leaves in what order. Wow, um, that is cool. But I haven't heard it done before with the literally like you're all going to die, so you need to optimize the order. That's twisted, and I love that. Optimize the order. That is really cool. Die. That's so cool. It's firm. And some characters come back as zombies as well. Like if they oh, die, so you find them in the environment. <laughs> oh no. Was the screenshot you mentioned for Obscure the upskirt shot of one of the main uh, characters? Yeah. yeah it's, Man, it's, 2005 it's was a different world, wasn't it? Yeah. Jesus Christ. That's it's, one way of bloody saying it. It's very of its time in terms of the way it treats its female characters, I think. Um, but, you know, it's, not, it's, it's a weird one in that I do really think that those games are very important to the sort of history of the horror genre. Hmm. Mm within gaming um i think they they should be talked about more which does not mean that i endorse upskirting teenagers no. oh. <laughs> yeah kind you of know. ironic it's called obscure when it's sort of <laughs> fallen into I, I know right i mean it's like within certain you know within the circles of people who are very very interested in the history of horror and gaming i think it's it's still fairly well a biggie well known mm. but it's just not you know it's not kind of got the reach of like resident evil or even like alone in the dark i don't yeah so, well they went on know. to make alone in the dark the people who made obscure they oh bro that, that oh. makes a lot maligned, of sense to me uh xbox 361 oh no yeah. not that one oops <laughs> Oh, yeah. well. <laughs> Don't worry, we're getting a new one next year with David Harbour in uh, for some reason. <laughs> right? <laughs> well, gang, we did it. We did a podcast and I need to go to bed. Uh, but it's been a pleasure. I'm just I'm just so comforted by these great opinions you've had. And it's whisked me away. Oh, as, as a friend of mine says to his kids, it's time for me to run up the wooden hill to Bedfordshire, which I think about all the time. Aww. It's one of the... Why? What? It sounds very cute. 
you guys it know about that one before? Hill. That's a, that's a really old one. That's what so old. Is it? Yeah. Up the wooden hill to Bedfordshire. Why I, is I the hill wooden? Stairs. That's my Stairs. thing. That's my thing. Yeah. That's very cute, actually. It's it's cute. Nice. Wooden hill. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, <laughs> what a weird end to plug. <laughs> yeah. Just just absolutely up the wooden hill. Stop. Roll the roll the outro. Four episodes in, and I'm doing nothing but duds. Uh, <laughs> no. Great position to be in. Long may this podcast continue. <laughs> My God. Hey folks, Rachel with the outro here. Thank you so much for listening to this episode. We hope you enjoyed it. Indie Venture is a podcast created, hosted, edited and produced by Rebecca Jones, Liam Richardson and me, Rachel Watts. For more information, search Indie Venture Podcast on your social media platform of choice. You can get in touch by sending your questions, comments and feedback to contact at indieventurepodcast.co.uk. You can support the show by rating us five stars and leaving a lovely review on Apple Podcasts or whatever podcast provider you use. And please let your friends, family, pets, basically everyone know about all the good times you've had listening to us because that would be great. Some of the games we talk about on the show may have been provided to us for free for review consideration. So if you are a developer, publisher or PR looking to get in touch, you can email us at hello at indieventurepodcast.co.uk. Thanks again for listening and see you in two weeks. Bye for now.